This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've I spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle. Please get in touch with us on our Facebook page, follow us, like us, whatever it takes. We would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as I know this industry is capable of. Morning, Doc. Good to see you again. Hey, Gordon. Always nice to be here. How's it going? All right, man. I see you emanating or just like what what's the right word iridescent with Jeez. creative intelligence uh, this morning you obviously CM, prepared uh, for for our topic with uh, Sherilyn yeah no absolutely I've been uh, preparing and uh, trying to get my creative juices going so it's great eh? but yeah you know we have a nice uh, special guest with us uh, Sherilyn Dr. Sherilyn de Jager she um Sherilyn I met with on the faculty uh, you know I do some work at University of Stellenbosch Business School, and uh, Sherilyn does some work at various universities, one of which is those, and uh, that one at least, so it's quite nice to have her. Sherilyn, thanks very much for taking the time and, and spending it with us this morning. No, I must thank you and Gordon for affording me the opportunity to do so, Doug, it's much appreciated. Fantastic, and I mean, today we're going to talk, Gordon, lead in with the re, is uh, you've just written a new book, um, and it's around creative t- uh, creative intelligence at play, specifically with a view to the world that we're living in now, the 4IR type world. And so we want to just chat a little bit about that. But just, I think, as a leading, you know, um, looking at your book, and I haven't read it cover to cover, I certainly will, but taking out some of the highlights, one of the most pertinent things you write right in the beginning of the book is, and I quote, all of us are born with an abundance of curiosity and creative potential. We started our journeys exploring and embracing the world with awe, and our curiosity knew no boundaries. We approached everything without fear and with great enthusiasm. You then go on, and within that same preface, you talk about how it all came unstuck at a very early age, and most of us have experienced that. Most of us have been told, just like you were, always color within the lines and follow the instructions carefully. Do not be creative. Do as you're told. Do not use initiative or think out of the box. Do what everybody else does, and you will just be fine. Do not question, memorize what you were told, and so on and so on. So suddenly, at a very young age, we get into a box and we get told, don't, no, stop it, not, 
etc. So all those negative words. So I think that's a, a little bit of a long intro from my side, but it sets the scene, Gordon, for what we want to chat about today. Creativity and more specifically, creative intelligence. Yeah, I think, you know, let's, let's Charlene, uh, chip in here. You know, I mean, I'm going to provide the counter argument. I, I think a lot of the the, the the damage in terms of over over promising to children has has been created by fridge magnets there's the counter argument which is that every child in the world whether they have any form of talent whatsoever has been told that they are gifted and that their work however poor it is will be stuck on the fridge for the world to gaze upon so i mean somewhere between the two possibly lies the truth let let's let Sherilyn explain uh, where the truth may lie <laughs> Gordon, now that is a nice curveball that you've sort of thrown at me to start this argument mm -hmm. with. Um, yes, there should be a, a fine balance, I agree, between um, uh, establishing creative confidence and, and also giving um, incorrect feedback as to one's abilities. So I think the, the idea there is to, is to find the proper balance about creating the confidence without creating a false um, sense of ability of your potential. And then that is a very important thing. Um, I just want to sort of revert back a step or two with regards to um, how creativity is sort of boxed in and, and in a sense um, limited when we started at school. And schools at the moment, they are focusing on STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering and maths. But there's arguments currently being posed for schools to also have to look at your softer skills, just as the, as that argument is being made in, in business. But, but again, let's now start at the school or, or my experience. Um, I view myself as, as a relatively creative individual or profile, and I'll get back to that later as to why I can sort of attain to that title. When I entered school, um, very curious, um, bright-eyed, bushy-tail, um, my first experience with the system was when the teacher told us about Humpty Dumpty, and Humpty Dumpty is my, my signature story that I tell. And she said Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall and he had a great fall, and then all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And up goes my hand and I say, but teacher, why was Humpty Dumpty on the wall in the first place? Um, wasn't he supposed to be on a plate with some bacon and eggs? <laughs> and I was immediately labeled as being a problem child. So I was literally put in the donkey row with an Alice band on my head with two donkey ears. Now, being the person that I am, I thought it was very funky and I wasn't insulted <laughs> at all. Um, another sensitive, more sensitive child or profile might have been scarred for life. So I was sitting there very chuffed with my Alice band with the donkey ears on it. And I was looking and assessing the system. And I realized that all that they wanted from me was Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. What did he do? He sat on the wall 100%. So within three months, having realized what the system required, I was sort of, the teacher was very relieved that I wasn't a problem child, but actually a gifted genius in disguise. <laughs> um, and it was, I was no, it was nothing of the sort. It was just merely sort of um, cottoning onto the system. And I, I sort of, went through my whole school career with, with that thing, just sort of memorize, regurgitate and, and box your uncle. But then you go to varsity and they expect a little bit more insight from you. 
And that is why there's such a big fallout level of first-year varsity students. And that is why the gap sometimes between school and varsity is just unsurmountable by a lot of the kids. Um, and then you go into the workplace and there are even more rules and even more restrictions. And, and, and that is the reality or was the reality until a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think that that story probably gets played out, you know, all over the over the world, and it's distressing, and it's it's unbelievable that, you know, from my childhood in the in the fifties, maybe I could believe that, but it still happens, and and I guess that's that's true. But I think for me, it, it's the balance, though, and I'm coming back to my industry, maybe which is where we should end rather than start, which is the media side of the advertising business, where. The biggest need is for people who are just numerate, I mean, who are capable of adding. I think that as we encourage creativity, we, we should identify those for whom creative excellence and, and creative intelligence is the high point of their performance. But we shouldn't disadvantage those who are not capable of that high-end, cutting-edge creativity, but they are competent. Um, you know, it's that sort of... You know, my wife is a school teacher, and, and we had an interesting situation where she had explained to a, a, a young fella um, at school who thought he's, he was going to, his life would be a ruin because he would never make it to university to study engineering. But then she pointed out to him that there are other ways of being a technician, and he went went to uh, a factory and became a technician guy and, and wrote the most glowing letter about how he had been completely misunderformed, uh, informed about the top end cutoff point rather than the point of entry. So where do we focus on, on, on the excellence um, or on the point of entry? Um, again, depending on the ability, the natural ability of your potential. And we are all, and, and I want to sort of with that, just again, take it a step or two back. Um, there are a couple of myths with regards to to creativity and potential. Now, when I was in Standard 5, it was the, the old grade 7, we were subjected to IQ tests. And um, because of limited time, I'm just going to, to skim uh, over the highlights of, of the impact of an IQ test when I was at school and my experience thereof. If you scored high on that specific IQ test, you were sort of pat on the back and you were destined for a life of um, math, science, biology, accounting, English and Afrikaans. Those were the subjects that we had to take when we had to choose at the end then of standard seven, which is now grade nine. Um, the kids who scored lower on the IQ spectrum were the kids that the teachers whispered about and they had to pursue, as, as your friend was not informed or this child was not informed, more practical ability. Now, IQ is a very, very limited way in which to look at people's potential and, and, and to which to sort of judge anybody's um, ability to be successful by um, Howard Gardner, and, and that's also shared in my book, and I wrote to him and he gave me permission to, to make use of this um, as a barter agreement um, for some of my IP and my thoughts, and it, it was a great agreement in the end. So he identified eight intelligences, and, and they are 
um, your linguistic intelligence, people who are word smart, your visual spatial intelligence, people who can draw, um, mathematical intelligence, people who can add, who does well in maths, naturalistic, who loves nature and who can contribute to that and so forth. So he had, and most important of all, your intrapersonal um, intelligence is that is knowing yourself, making peace with your strengths and your weaknesses, playing to your strengths and getting other people to manage your weaknesses. And then your interpersonal intelligence, it's it's that it's like your oppress, like your politicians who can manage and, and work well with people. So those two intelligences are extremely important. And then that was exp expanded to spiritual intelligence and then to emotional intelligence, which was very, very, very important. And, and then creative intelligence is, is that intelligence um, that enables you to know how to play to your strengths, how to manage your weaknesses, and which elements of those elements to actually play to. So the example that you cited of, of this, this young man being in your wife's class is probably somebody with um, technical intelligence which hasn't been explored or with mm -hmm. a different intelligence. And yeah. this happens so often that kids after matric or after school, after varsity, say, I'll never study for as long as I live until they find their niche and their passion and their purpose. And and when they have discovered that, they absolutely excel, Doug. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And, I, you know, I've seen it, you know, not just in terms of, of the different types of intelligence. And I guess that's that's what, what manifests itself. But in work, you know, I'm talking now <clears throat> specifically in, in the world of work, you know, just, and again, Gordon, you and I have touched on it uh, numerous times around culture. And Geraldine, you talk about culture in your book, I've worked for and with people where the environment, and, and one of the things you talk about is creating an environment where you can express yourself. Now, I'll be, and I'll give you a really practical example. Obviously, I'm not going to name the person or the organization, but as a very senior guy, you're almost too scared to talk in a meeting. Never mind express a creative thought, just say a word. I mean, you literally see people because the fear culture is such that they want to hide behind a computer in, in, a, in a meeting, you know, hide behind a piece of paper, not to be singled out. And I think that's the type of dysfunctional culture where there is no ways people are going to be creative. They just want to keep their job. The, the fear is you're going to get fired or ridiculed or bullied. Quite on the opposite side, you know, I had many years, great years in an organization where it was quite the opposite, where you were not encouraged to fail, but you were certainly not uh, punished for failure. You were, you know, to, it was a learning experience and there you knew you'd want to you'd be like that eager kid of saying pick me you know can i also have a go and have a voice and and it, it's quite interesting you talk about you know playing to and, and and it's the emotional maturity of that leader you know i worked for different people people who would sit back and allow you that space and didn't feel threatened by um by you expressing your thoughts so absolutely i buy into the fact that it's multifaceted uh, and and one as a leader, and, and we take it back to you know organizations is to is to identify the various strengths of of your role players and uh, and build on that. You know, one thing um, that I usually start off with when I sell my value proposition to an organization, Doug, is to say, okay, let's assess what are the determinants that you do have in place. Um, that is supportive of creative and innovative expression. And, and now here I would like to go to, uh, to address the definitions. You're listening to The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media.
there are as many definitions for creativity and innovation as there are people and schools of thought. Um, when I work with organizations or teams, I always tell them that they need to define creativity and innovation. They also need to determine whether they view these concepts as being the same or are they different and if they're the same motivate motivate why and if they are different motivate why as well um, now my views with regards to this is that creativity precedes innovation and that innovation without creativity is sterile now i took the uh, uh, definition from einstein who said that um, creativity is intelligence having fun as my point of departure for creativity. Obviously, I've coined a definition for creativity myself in my PhD research, and it's in my book. Um, but I like that shorter ver version of the um, definition. And then I've coined a very interesting definition for innovation. Um, I said innovation is creativity commercialized. And then some of my students say, oh, in other words, it's um, creativity in a business suit. And then I kind of like that reference. Um, now, innovation is creativity commercialized has been taken up in the top 50 innovation quotes list. And it, I have to brag about this. this I've got some bragging rights here. <laughs> it's given me, it, it's worth um, the likes of Steve Jobs and then Bill Gates' definition of innovation is business at the speed of thought. So, Well, before you go on, congratulations. Well done. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, that's, guys. Uh, that, that, that's, was, that was quite. I was quite chuffed. There are a few things that I, I'm chuffed about, and and that's one of them. Um, so, what happened was is that um, innovation was in a sense more acceptable in the business environment than creativity because there, there was a bit of a stigma attached to the creative types, and I'm not going to go into that detail. So, innovation was sort of the the new buzzword in the corporate corridors for a while. And it was like from innovative milk bottles turning green when the milk is sour to innovative cars and, and vacuum cleaners. And I always say that um, innovation was the bikini of the 21st century um, because in the 70s, if you wanted to sort of advertise anything after the Bond movie where Ursula Andres came out of the sea wearing that, that stockingly white bikini. Um, you, vividly, you, vividly you, recall it. Gordon it is, it is like it was embedded in my teenage psyche. There's very rarely a day that goes by without me remembering <laughs> Ursula Andress emerging from the sea. Well done, No, Shirley. no, no, James. That was past my, no, it was after my time. So I, I just watched the, the movie Postscript. But that that really sparked, um, and, and you being in media and advertising, um, that, that really sparked a whole, and, and you must be aware of it, a whole genre, sort of an advertising where it was bikini clad ladies that were used from stoves to cars, you know. And, and then it was the buzzword innovation. But innovation was also enough. And then it was the whole shift to design thinking. Mm. Now, the good thing about design thinking, and I'm, I'm very aware of our time limitation, is that design thinking includes making a prototype. So the whole design thinking, um, being the new silver bullet and the new buzzword, the, the thing I like and appreciate about the design thinking process is the prototype. It's, a prototype is required, whether you draw it, whether you build it, whether you, you make it with um, CD printing, they, they want a prototype. And that's the good thing about that. 
But then in 2010, um, there was a whole shift in thinking again that design thinking, um, they, they, they need more. They needed to scale after design thinking. And then design intelligence, the term started to emerge. And then there was this whole shift to, to creative intelligence. And, and this is now where I come in. And I, I was very brave because very few people at, then attempted to define creative intelligence. And there were huge debates about it. So I posed a very comprehensive, and, and I'm talking of memory totally at the moment. I've got nothing in front of me. Yeah. Um, so I, I posted a very comprehensive and a very daring definition of creative intelligence. And I said that um, creative intelligence is knowing which, wait for this, wait for this, which <laughs> creativity, innovation, and design thinking, methodology, framework, technique, or tool to apply when, where, and how to navigate the fourth industrial revolution while shaping the future. And this is also part of my book title. So Alan Black, Dr. Alan Black, a, a great creativity voice, international creativity voice, he said, wait for this, a young lady, a young professional <laughs> in South Africa. I haven't been called that <laughs> for a while. So I just love being called a young professional in South Africa, posted this comprehensive definition, definition shorten it. Yeah. So I had a second attempt at shortening this definition. And then I said, okay, um, creative intelligence is the practical application of creativity, innovation, and design thinking to address needs, solve problems, um, while shaping uh, the future, navigating the fourth industrial revolution, and currently COVID-19. That was also too long, bear with me. And then I shortened it to creative intelligence at work and at play is innovation in action. So play being a very important part of the creative process, innovation being creativity commercialized, um, creativity being intelligence, having fun. And we need to master and mine all the creative intelligence at our disposal in order to make sense of the current situation and the future situation to come. And I want to end on why the shift from creativity to creative intelligence, because creativity is a very narrow view as to what we need in order to reimagine, recreate and reshape a future in which we all need to thrive. I think there's some fascinating observations there. And, and I really think if, if, if I look at the advertising industry's uh, attempts right now to kind of reinvent itself. This is a, a really important narrative. And I'd, I'd love to have you chatting with uh, the ACA, with Marty Okabe. I think mm. that that'll really be uh, a dynamic discussion, how the agency world is delivering on these things. Because you you mentioned the eight intelligences, and, and that really resonates with me. The, the thing which I find most interesting is that there was a time when I came to the industry in the 70s where what differentiated ad agencies from other businesses was that we had all eight intelligences in one company. Now we've got eight companies, each professing to have one of those intelligences, and I think that has diminished the industry. But vis-a-vis -vis your, your young uh, professional in South Africa, I, I would imagine then, if I'm remembering Ursula Andrus, you probably fixated on Daniel Craig emerging from the sea and his budgie smuggler in, in Spectre. I think that was about three or four years ago. 
Yeah, but that's a different shift and a different intelligence. That is body <laughs> kinesthetic intelligence in action. And, and to that point, to that point, um, Doug and I, can I just cite an example here? Sure. That's one of my favorite examples. If you look at Ashwara Rai, um, be, be, being beauty queen, then Bollywood actress, and then businesswoman, constantly reinventing herself, using the intelligence suited and fitted to her purpose and where she is during her career transition. The same thing with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm. He went from bodybuilder to actor with very little narrative until he could speak proper English <laughs> and to politician. And he said, I will be back. And indeed, he's back. And, and he then reinvented himself using uh, tapping into a prior intelligence to reignite his, his career path. You know, so... Um, Interesting examples that, that just comes to mind as the conversation unfolds. And and then can I please just go back to the to sure. the environment conducive to yeah. to creativity and, and innovation. Um, may I? Sure, of course. Okay, thanks. Because you know you were talking about cultures and environments that that, that is filled with fear. So um, I have started with a, a company that realized that they will never be, I mean, I, and I can cite them, I've got their permission. It is PPC, the cement manufacturer. Yeah. And the CEO at the time was Ketso Gordon. And they embarked on a huge innovation drive and initiative. And they realized that they will be still, still be making cement in the same fashion unless technology radically infuses a new shift. Um, but what, what happened there was, is let's see where we can be creative and innovative. And um, although the culture wasn't in place, they agreed to for the duration of the intervention to actually remove blockers and create for the time being an environment conducive to creativity and innovation. And it was amazing, just that shift in enabling people to do so, what the people came up with. I mean, repackaging, just making the packages smaller that allows people to carry it, mm. actually improved sales, you know. And, and I can cite thousands of examples like that where it actually worked in practice. But for the sake of the time, again, just the highlights there. Sure, absolutely. And I mean, again, thanks for that. And, and I mean, just to our listeners out there, the book, and again, I must say, I haven't read it cover to cover, I certainly will, but going through it in a little bit of detail preparing for this podcast is a good mixture between, as you say, the theory and the thinking uh, and really good practical examples and practical exercises. So I'd urge you to go out there, get the book. Now, Shirlene, how do I get hold of it? It's, is it a physical book? Is it an e-book? If somebody wants to get hold of it, what do they do? Um, Doug, it's in both formats. Um, Knowledge Resources is the publishing company, and you can just go onto their website. Um, they deliver in Johannesburg the physical book. I okay. prefer the physical book because yeah. creativity is tangible, and there are creativity exercises. There's a creativity grab pack for mm. in the book a chapter, and you can actually draw on it, and it should actually act as your notebook should you wish to do so. Because mm. one of the greatest ways to become creative and to establish your creative confidence is to take notes. It's also on Amazon, mm. so it is in both formats. Um, for the local guys, I would like them to support knowledge resources, please. But for the international clients, um, they they got it through Amazon, and it's both ebooks and and physical. 
That's wonderful. Thanks. And again, I urge people to uh, to get out there to purchase the book uh, and to and to just get better at uh, at understanding and and developing. Now, Charlene, if people want to get hold of you, are you on any social platforms? Do you have a mail address that you prepare to share? Because you know, obviously, we want people. If there are people out there who want to take the conversation further, we can only cover so much in the podcast. How do they get hold of you? Um, I've, I'm on LinkedIn as Sherilyn Diacher or Dr. Sherilyn Diacher. I do have a website. It's www.ideaneers.co.za. And both my email address and my cell phone numbers on my LinkedIn profile. Great. Thanks. And again, you know, as Gordon and I always say week after week, you know, it's not about us just talking with very interesting people, which we, we always try to do and we, and we do most times. Uh, it's, it's you out there, you know, being part of the, of the conversation. Get hold of Dr. Sherilyn and, uh, and be part of it. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I've started the read. It's quite a formidable read, but there are some really compelling insights already just right up front. And um, you make the observation, Sherilyn, that software has taken over the most mundane, time-consuming tasks. Therefore, human skills such as creativity, critical thinking, problem-solving, and communication will be key to the workforce of the future. So my earlier question about point of entry, basic mechanics, I think is that's the reality. Um, but you also posture, you know, that the or, or postulate that the creating of a human experience in the workplace is the need of the hour. And I think somewhere in, in coming up with solutions for that is a critical issue for the industry, particularly post-COVID. We know a lot of people are working from home. How do you create a forum for the eight intelligences and a human experience if you're all sitting you know, um, in, in your own home? So I think there are interesting insights and observations that make this a really worthwhile read uh, for folks in the media. But I'm gonna wrap it up and then lob it back to the, to the doc. Sherilyn, I, I found this fascinating. Congratulations uh, to you know in, in terms of this contribution to creative thinking. I, I'm really looking forward to having a read on this. Thanks so much, Gordon. Appreciate the time, James, yeah. and the opportunity. Thanks, Shereen. No, it's an absolute pleasure. And again, you know, I just urge people out there to, to be part of it. Uh, get hold of uh, Dr. Shereen and find out more about creative intelligence. And I think just in closing, thanks again for your time. We really do appreciate it. Um, and we'll catch you next week on The Doc and the Guru. Yep, thanks to the listeners, and uh, thanks for being with us. Thanks again, Charlene and Doc. I think as I wrap up, uh, if you could just uh, hand back those uh, donkey ears that you have. <laughs> I think uh, in the context of today's discussion, those are mine, not yours. I was very upset when I had to have them back, but I handed them back many years ago. Cheers to everybody out there. We'll, we'll see you next week. Cheers, guys. Ciao. And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond. And hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the Guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. 
The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.